Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining this morning's Beef Brunch educational webinar. My name is Ashley Edwards, and I'm an assistant extension agent and coordinator of animal science programs for the LSU Ag Center. I will be hosting today with the help of Jason Holmes, livestock specialist in the Northeast region. Our speaker today is Dr. Ed Quidwell. He is a professor in the LSU School of Plant, Environmental, and Soil Sciences, and he will be discussing winter forage options for livestock producers. A few housekeeping notes before we get started. Please make sure your microphones remain muted throughout the webinar. If you're joining us via the Teams app or link, you can enter your questions into the Q&A box at any time during the presentation. If you are calling in and have questions, you can text your questions to me. My number is 512-818-5476. In the interest of time, we're gonna wait until the end to answer any of the questions, but again, you can submit them at any point in time into the Q&A box. With that, Dr. Twidwell, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us this morning, and you should be able to begin whenever you're ready. Okay, well, uh, thanks, Ashley. Uh, pleasure for me to be here this morning. I know with it uh, being middle of July and 95 degrees, it's kind of hard to be thinking about uh, winter pastures, but uh, still it's something uh, to uh, at least start thinking about and start getting things lined up a little bit about your uh, winter pasture. And uh, to start off with, uh, we might ask the question, why why do we need to plant winter pastures? And there are some definite advantages of planting winter pastures. It's gonna provide you with some excellent quality uh, grazing during the winter and spring months. It uh, reduces your dependence on stored forages. Uh, and it may be the most economical way of, of winter, wintering uh, your cow herd. You know, the, the cows have to be fed in, in some form or fashion. So uh, planting some winter pasture may be your most economical uh, means of, of uh, getting the cattle uh, through the winter. Now there are a few disadvantages. Uh, some of these would be the cost of seed, uh, fuel and fertilizer. It does take some time and labor. Uh, you may or may not have the uh, proper planting equipment to do a good job of, of establishing a stand of, uh, of winter annuals. And even if you do things uh, correctly, there's no guarantee of, of planting success. Uh, Mother Nature uh, has a way of, uh, of kind of fouling things up from time to time. So uh, you can go through all the time and expense of planting and, and still uh, you may not end up with with uh, the stand that that you need. So so there are some some risk involved. Your other option is to uh, try to winter your your cow herd by just uh, feeding hay and, and using some protein and and energy supplements. So I encourage producers to get out their uh, calculator and, and calculate out uh, which which method they think may may be the most economical uh, uh, for them. But today, I'm not really going to focus on the hay and supplementation. That's more on the nutritional end. Uh, I'm going to focus on on uh, moving forward with actually planting uh, winter pastures. And one of the first things we can uh, look at is what plant species can can be used for winter pasture. And I've got it highlighted. Annual ryegrass is by far the most uh, common. 
species we use for annual pasture. There are some other ones here that we'll uh, go through uh, this morning. Uh, oats, wheat, uh, rye, clovers, brassicas, and then winter peas or vetch. But uh, annual ryegrass, as, as I mentioned, is, is by far uh, the most popular uh, winter forage crop. So we'll, we'll focus most of our attention uh, on, on uh, annual ryegrass. Just some uh, facts and figures about annual ryegrass. <clears throat> it's grown on about 300,000 acres in Louisiana. And one reason it's uh, so popular is it's, uh, it's probably the easiest for winter forage we have to plant. Uh, we'll kind of go through some different methods here in a little bit, but uh, most producers have pretty good success in, in establishing uh, annual ryegrass. Now it is a uh, cross-pollinating species, so there's a large amount of uh, genetic variability present. In other words, you may have some plants that are a little bit taller than others, some maybe a little shorter, uh, etc. So there, in a given field of ryegrass, there is a decent amount of uh, variability. Now back in the 30s, uh, up through the 50s, uh, ryegrass was primarily grown along the Gulf Coast, uh, not so much in, in the northern part uh, of the state. Um, and one of the big issues along the coast was rust. Rust disease was a, was a major issue. And uh, it wasn't until uh, 1958 when uh, Texas A&M came, came out with uh, Gulf ryegrass, which we still grow a, a lot of uh, uh, today. But it was really the first variety that, that had any type of, of rust resistance. So it, it was really a, a pretty big breakthrough. So golf was, was uh, very important for quite a few years. And then uh, Marshall ryegrass came out in uh, 1981. Uh, and you can see by the, the map here where, where it was uh, found. And it really moved the uh, the popularity of ryegrass further north. Uh, you can see this up in uh, northern Mississippi. So once we came out with Marshall ryegrass, it was pretty winter hardy. It, it really moved acreage uh, further north. And then just a, a few other uh, more notable varieties. Some of these have been around uh, quite a while, like uh, Jackson. <clears throat> Has good uh, cold tolerance and, and good rust resistance. Uh, Prime is still pretty popular and Nelson came out uh, about 10 years ago, and it's still a, a pretty popular uh, uh, variety. Now, there are some genetic differences among varieties, ryegrass varieties. Most ryegrass have uh, 14 chromosomes and are classified or is known as diploid varieties. There is a chemical procedure, though, where you can go in and, and double the number of chromosomes. And uh, by doubling the number of chromosomes, you can produce varieties that are called tetraploid varieties. And uh, some of those you can see listed there are varieties that, that are, have been pretty popular <clears throat> over the last 10 years or so, like uh, Prine and uh, uh, Nelson. Now, some of the tetraploid characteristics that make them a little bit different than the diploid varieties like Gulf and Marshall and Jackson are since they have double the number of chromosomes, <clears throat> it makes for larger plants. Uh, the plants have larger leaves. The seed is actually even uh, larger. And they typically are a little bit later in maturity. 
the, the big question mark is though, uh, are they higher in yield or higher in quality? Uh, I know this is used as, as kind of a marketing uh, ploy sometimes, but are they higher? Are they always going to be higher in yield and quality? Uh, probably not. And uh, we'll we'll discuss this a little bit more. But but uh, they are they are definitely different than the the traditional diploid varieties. Almost all of our uh, ryegrass seed comes from Oregon. There's a, a valley in Oregon called the Willamette Valley. It's where most of the uh, ryegrass seed is produced. And uh, I was talking to a contact person I have out there uh, just yesterday, and they're just now starting to harvest ryegrass seed for this year. They're, they're behind a little bit. Typically, they start harvesting around the 4th of July. So they're about a week or so uh, behind. And uh, as far as the crop goes, they had very good growing conditions this winter and spring. So they expect to have a, a pretty decent ryegrass uh, seed crop this year. So I'm guessing that uh, seed prices are going to be uh, fairly similar to what, what, they, what they were last year. <clears throat> now, one of the issues with seed production is ryegrass is not only grown just for forage, it's also grown for turf, erosion control, uh, and the, there's been a lot of interest in uh, cover crops here the last five years or so. So that's really increased the demand for, for ryegrass seed. So what you pay for ryegrass seed is very much a supply and demand type of thing. So when there's a uh, small supply, uh, the, expect the price to, price to go up. But I think it's going to be pretty similar to what it was last year. Now in Louisiana, we do have a uh, Ag Center variety testing program where we test about 10 to 25 varieties each year. These are planted in, in small plots and uh, they use a harvester similar to what, what we have in the picture here to harvest these plots with. Uh, and they can be harvested anywhere from five to six times a year. <clears throat> and we plant these at three different locations, Winsboro, in the northern part of the state, Franklinton uh, in the southeast part of the state, and Generet uh, in, in the uh, south, uh, south central part of the state. Now, in order for a variety to be on our suggested planning list, we have to test it for at least three years, and it has to perform uh, satisfactorily, satisfactorily over those uh, three years. Now, this is the list of uh, suggested varieties for 2020 and 21. <clears throat> and I just, we just put this list together and I sent it out to the extension agents here uh, last week. So if any producers out there that, that want this list, and I'll show you some data here in just a second. But if you're interested in getting this information, just contact your local extension agent and, uh, and they should be able to provide that uh, uh, to you. You can see there, there's a pretty long list of uh, varieties on there. Uh, some of these may or may not be available from, from your local uh, seed, seed source. Uh, so if there's a variety on there you think you may want to try, uh, now's a good time to check with your uh, local seed source and see if, if they have that variety available. <clears throat> now one thing I will point out is that Gulf and Jackson have not performed very well over the last 
over the past three years, and they are not on our suggested uh, list uh, for for uh, for this year. And uh, if you look at the data, again, this is a three-year average in terms of pounds per acre. You can see Wax Marshall was on top, and I don't, I didn't have room to put all the varieties on there. But this is is about the top ten varieties, uh, and you can see there's there's not a real wide uh, margin in, in in yields. I mean the the mean was seven thousand seven hundred fifty eight uh, pounds per acre, and the top yielding variety was eighty three hundred pounds, so it was about six hundred pounds ab above the mean. So not not a real widespread difference there. And Gulf uh, ranked 23 out of 24, and Jackson was 24 out of 24, and they did not make the cut to be on our <clears throat> list of uh, suggested varieties. But again, if you want to get get this data, contact your local extension agent. Now I put this slide in here. Uh, Dr. Allison at uh, Winsboro uh, took this data uh, in 2014. Uh, dealing with freeze damage, especially when we get up in the northern part of the state, we're always more concerned about uh, winter injury than maybe we are in the southern part of the state. So they had some temperatures in the mid-teens in uh, late January of that year, and then he went out in mid-March and rated all the different varieties, and you can see the, the average was, was a rating of two, and golf had double that, which indicated it had, it had about twice as much winter injury as most of these other varieties. You can see some of these varieties that we think is being pretty winter hardy like Marshall and uh, Jackson, <clears throat> they have ratings below two. So winter, winter injury is something that you do need to take into account, uh, especially the further, further north you're trying to, to uh, produce your ryegrass. Now, most of the newer ryegrass varieties, they are going to cost more than the Gulf. Uh, as I mentioned previously, Gulf was probably the most popular variety, uh, mainly because it, it's uh, the cheapest variety. Uh, but these newer varieties are going to cost more. There, there's, there's no doubt about it. Uh, are they worth the extra money? Well, compared to Gulf, uh, the, most of these newer varieties do offer some insurance against cold damage. They they do have some some uh, winter hardiness in them, and especially uh, if you're in a stocker cattle business and your livelihood depends on putting weight gains on 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 these cattle uh, during the winter and spring, you know, you, you've got to have some some high quality grazing. So you're probably more likely to, to look at planting a variety that that has some some of my winter hardiness to it. Now, uh, some producers will want to mix golf with a winter hardy variety like Marshall, and, and that's fine. That that will give you maybe <clears throat> a, at least some insurance that uh, you'll have to have some uh, some uh, some ryegrass there, even if, if uh, temperatures do get uh, relatively cold. Another consideration is uh, difference in maturity. And there are a, a fair amount of differences in maturity among these different uh, ryegrass varieties. And 
And golf is one of the earliest varieties to mature. And uh, a lot of people like that aspect of, of golf because it, it uh, grows grows during the winter and the early spring, and then it pretty well matures and, and uh, fades on out, which uh, allows your summer grasses to come on earlier. Your Bermudas and Mejias can, can come on a little bit faster. The newer varieties, most of them are going to mature later than golf. And that can be viewed as a pro or a con. Uh, it is going to depress the growth on, on your uh, summer grasses, but it's going to allow you to graze the ryegrass a little bit longer in, into, say, May uh, or, or maybe even early June, or <clears throat> it'll allow you to come in and, and make a cutting of ryegrass hay if, if that's what you want to do. So it really, really boils down to what what do you prefer? There's really no right or wrong answer there. It's just whatever works best in, in your particular situation. But but golf is definitely uh, one of the earliest varieties to uh, to mature. Now we get asked this question a lot: Are there differences in forage quality uh, among these different varieties? And uh, this is some kind of old data, but but uh, I think it kind of kind of tells what 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 I would show you if I showed some uh, more recent data. And there's a little bit of variability among these varieties, but not anything that really stands out uh, really really significant. And the other thing is when you go compare these different varieties, I just got through mentioning that there are differences in maturity. So say you're comparing golf. Uh, that's going to mature earlier than something like, uh, say, a, a, a Marshall. You know, is that really a true variety uh, difference or is it just a, a maturity difference? You, you'd have to harvest them at the exact same maturity stage in order to get an accurate uh, assessment of that. And that's, that's very difficult to do. <clears throat> so it's always been kind of my feeling that <clears throat> that uh, maturity has more of an influence on forage quality than, than variety does. So when you're using ryegrass, try to keep it in, in the highest quality state uh, uh, possible. But uh, maturity is, is, has more of an effect than, than, uh, than anything else on, on quality. Now, the University of Arkansas did, uh, did some work over a 10-year period where they uh, went out and, and clipped some uh, pastures of producers, and then they pooled all this information together. <clears throat> and this, to me, just really shows how high quality ryegrass pasture can, can, uh, can provide. I mean, when you've got crude protein in the 20s and adjustabilities in the mid-70s, it, it's uh, hard to beat. I mean, if, if you're going to try to uh, winter your cow herd with uh, hay and uh, supplements, you know, you're going to have to have, to, uh, have some pretty high quality level of supplementation there to, to compete uh, with, with what ryegrass can give you. And, and again, I think that's why uh, annual ryegrass is such a popular species to, to use. But there are some other things we can look at. Uh, small grains, what about using them for, for winter pastures? Uh, there's some amount of interest in this, but again, I go back to the fact that most producers have a pretty good uh, 
chance of success with annual ryegrass, and that again why, is why it's uh, most popular. Now, when you look at the uh, small grains, and this would be oats, wheat, and cereal rye, and uh, if you look at this table here, one thing that that really jumps out at you is uh, the number of seeds per pound. Ryegrass has 224,000 seeds per pound, and these other ones uh, average probably about 15,000 seeds per pound. So the seed of these small grains is much, much larger. And consequently, they're going to be have, have to be planted uh, deeper. Uh, you can't just plant the uh, oats and wheat the same way you plant ryegrass. Just kind of throwing it on top of the ground and maybe harrowing it in a little bit. It's not going to work very well. Uh, they really need to be planted at, at a depth of about one to two inches. And probably the best way to plant, plant these small grains is with a drill. And uh, there's not a lot of producers uh, that may have drills available. So from that standpoint, that is why annual ryegrass is, is much more popular, just easier to plant. Uh, you don't necessarily have to have a, a drill uh, to do it. Now, having said that, uh, there are some very good uh, oat varieties uh, available. Uh, the oats can provide some pretty high quality forage, can provide early grazing. The disadvantage of oats are they're not very winter hardy. So who around the state uh, plants oats? Well, it's uh, pretty popular among the dairy producers. They, they'll go in and plant oats uh, in uh, early September uh, to try, try to give them some early grazing. Because uh, with dairy producers, uh, you all know they have to have high quality forage during the entire year. So they, they plant oats early to try to have, have a, uh, some forage there uh, that, that they can get some pretty good grazing with. Uh, the other people that plant oats are, are uh, deer hunters that, that uh, use the oats for wildlife food plots. And there are some beef cattle people that, that plant oats, but it's just not, not real, real popular. There are some very good uh, oat varieties available. Uh, this uh, LA99016 is available, and uh, it's very popular among the, uh, the deer hunter for food plots. And uh, also, uh, anybody who's interested in, in having some, some good quality forage uh, early in the fall. Now, wheat, the Ag Center does not test varieties for uh, forage production. Uh, most of the wheat varieties are very winter hardy. Uh, we really don't have any varieties we can recommend for forage. Uh, I would say just go with a uh, variety that, that does well in your area for grain production. Uh, that's about the best we can uh, come up with for, uh, for wheat. Now, cereal rye, uh, especially in the northern part of the state, I, I know there are some producers that like cereal rye. It's very winter hardy. There are uh, several varieties uh, available. And the, the rye does mature earlier than, than ryegrass. So again, if, if you want to get, get these winter pasture uh, off, your, uh, off your field and let the summer grasses come on, uh, cereal rye is, is not a bad option. Probably the biggest advantage it has is, is it very, very winter hardy. 
Now, this is some data from a uh, study that was done uh, quite a few years ago at Rose Pine. This compares ryegrass to these small grains. And uh, you see the, the big advantage ryegrass has is if you look at May. You know, it's really the only winter forage we have that's going to give you a lot of production in, in May. And uh, the small grains will do okay early, you say November, December, January. Uh, but when we start getting into the spring, they, they're they pretty well going to start fading away by uh, <clears throat> sometime in April. But with ryegrass, you're going to get that extra grazing uh, in, into uh, to at least mid-May, maybe late May. So again, I think that's why uh, ryegrass is, is probably more popular than, than, uh, than the small grain. Getting into a little bit more of the uh, agronomics here on uh, on planting, planting methods and that type of thing. When should your winter pasture be planted? Well, it depends upon uh, if you're going to plant a prepared seed bed or if you're going to overseed your, your summer sod. For a prepared seed bed, we shoot for about September 20th. And for overseed, about mid-October. And really, which method you go with depends upon when you want to be able to start grazing these crops. If you, say, are running a stocker cattle operation and you need grazing, say, by Thanksgiving or Christmas, you're absolutely going to have to plant your ryegrass on a prepared seedbed. You're just not going to get much grazing, uh, early grazing, unless you do that. On the other hand, if you don't need Early grazing, you're you're fine with waiting until uh, January or February uh, to to get some amount of grazing. Uh, then overseeding is, is probably gonna probably gonna work uh, work better for you. So again, the prepared seed bed, big advantage it has, gives you early grazing. Disadvantage is you don't have the sod there to hold the livestock uh, up very well. So you know if we get in a, a wet winter. And spring, you're not going to be able to have the, the animals out there. Uh, maybe you may, may not be able to graze as much as you want because uh, the pasture may this may be may get uh, too muddy. So uh, there's some pros and cons uh, with, with the prepared seed bed. Overseeded again, you're not going to get much grazing until after uh, after the first of the year. The advantage though is you've got the sod. Sod, your summer sod still there uh, with plus the ryegrass, so you're not going to have a lot of bogging. So again, it, it just depends upon which one's going to fit into your operation uh, better. Now, if you want to go the uh, prepared seed bed route, uh, you probably don't want to. You are going to have to do some tillage, so you probably don't want to do that too far in advance. Uh, I normally, don't recommend planting planting until at least September 20th. And the reason for that is if you go much earlier than that, it's still pretty hot and dry. Uh, we can have armyworm issues with uh, armyworm moving into the seedling ryegrass. And there is a uh, ryegrass disease called blast disease that can affect early planted ryegrass. So normally I like to suggest waiting until at least September 20th. It'll start to cool off a, a little bit uh, before you, you uh, plant the ryegrass in a prepared seed bed. Overseeded, again, we're shooting for about mid-October here. 
and what we normally recommend is uh, where you're going to be overseeding the ryegrass, go in that, that pasture and, and clip it down or graze it down as short as possible, uh, come in about mid-October and, and, and do the planting. Uh, you don't really want to plant too much earlier on that because you're still going to get some competition for the summer grasses. And then once you uh, broadcast the seed, you can uh, pull a culture packer or a drag or something over just to kind of work the seed in the ground a little bit. As far as the uh, optimum seed rate for ryegrass, uh, I know we've done surveys uh, where we ask producers different questions and, and the seeding rates, I remember uh, getting a result back, I got numbers anywhere from 10 pounds up to 100 pounds per acre is what they typically plant. So there's pretty wide range of seeding rates that producers use. Most of our research indicates that a seeding rate about 30, 35 pounds per acre is adequate uh, in most cases. Now, if you're planning on a prepared seed bed, you might go a little bit higher than that, just from the standpoint that you know you're not going to have a lot there to uh, to keep the animals from bogging down. So maybe go a little higher rate. Some people feel that the, that might give you a little bit of uh, protection to, to help the animals uh, from, from bogging uh, too much. But other than that, we really don't see much advantage to going much higher than, than say 30, 35 pounds per acre. What is the best uh, seeding method? You can either broadcast a seed or use a drill. And there are some pros and cons of this. A broadcast is cheaper, it's easier to use. Uh, the disadvantage is uh, you may not get real even seed placement. On the flip side, though, with a drill, uh, there's not that many drills available. Uh, most producers don't want to spend the money to actually buy a drill. Uh, so you may have to uh, go together to buy a drill with some of your neighbors, or I know some of the conservation districts have drills that you can rent. Now, one advantage that drills have, though, is if you want to plant, say, ryegrass and a clover, uh, they typically have two seed boxes on them, so it allows you to do that very, very well. And also, you can probably reduce your seeding rate a little bit by using a drill because it's going to put the seed down in a, uh, in a very good uh, depth, a depth, uniform uh, depth. So you might be able to reduce your seeding rate a little bit. But uh, bottom line, if you look at the research studies, uh, they really don't show a whole lot of difference in production between those two methods. It kind of boils down to whichever one uh, you have the equipment for, whichever one you, you feel most comfortable with. Now, to me, this is an important piece of equipment to own for a uh, forage producer. Uh, nothing real fancy here, just uh, something like an old culture packer or roller. Again, once you plant the ryegrass, you can run over that just to, to firm the firm up the seed bed, make sure the seed gets pressing into the into the soil um, a little bit. You don't necessarily have to have a cold packer, anything will work like a little harrow or uh, put together a piece of fence or, or what, whatever, just anything you can you can use to help get that, get that seed work down in, into the soil a little bit after it's uh, seeded. I'm just not a big fan of, of broadcasting the seed uh, on the top of the ground and, and leaving it because uh, 
some of that seed is going to get hung up on on the leaves of the grass, and uh, I just don't think you're going to get uh, optimum stands. Now, I do have some producers that uh, will, want, especially if they're seeding a small acreage, they'll broadcast the seed and let then let the cows kind of tromp the seed into the ground. That's starting to become uh, a, a little more popular. But I'm not sure I'd do that on, on a real large acreage, but you know, just have a small small area you want to plant that 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 might work. But uh, <clears throat> you've got to get the, the seed in the ground some way or another. I'm just not a big fan of just broadcasting and leaving it on top of the ground. Now, obviously, another uh, common way of planting is, is to call the local uh, co-op and have them mix the seed and fertilizer and, and come out with a cart and, and uh, seed it for you. And that's fine for them to broadcast it like that. But again, I'd pull a packer or harrow or something over that when they're done. Uh, broadcasting just to make sure the, the seed gets gets uh, gets planted uh, uniformly. And I don't have a lot of time this morning to go into different fertilizer rates and that type of thing, but by all means use some soil tests to help you determine uh, what types of fertilizer rates or maybe if you need to apply some lime uh, this fall. Uh, now's a good time to be doing that. You know, we're sitting here middle of July. Uh, not a bad time to go out and take some soil test and, and if you do need to put some lime out prior to planting your ryegrass it'll at least give you an idea of how much lime lime you need to put out or if you need to put out some phosphorus or potash or 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 what have you now's a good time to, to take some uh, soil tests as far as just comparing prepared versus overseeding uh, obviously, uh, in a prepare seed bed, you're hoping that you're going to have higher production, and, and the research kind of bears that out. And uh, this was a study done uh, quite a few years ago, but I think it points out that in an overseeded situation, you're just not going to get a lot of production uh, in, in the early winter. It's going to be after March 1st is when you start getting getting more uh, production, but it's still not going to give you as much production as planting on, on a prepared seed bed. And this is from the Hill Farm Station, which is in the northwest part of the state, and again, kind of shows the same thing. That with overseeding, you're just not going to get get much growth until uh, later on in the in the, in the spring. You can see the big jump there going from from March into into uh, into April. Uh, so again, it depends upon when you need to forage. You know, if, if you need to forage early before uh, Christmas, you're going to have to plan on a prepared seed bed. No, no two ways about it. Now, I kind of get off of uh, ryegrass here and and delve into a few other things. Uh, we have uh, clovers. Uh, why are clovers useful? Uh, well, they can provide excellent quality. Uh, they can extend the grazing season into the summer months. The advantage clovers have is they fix their own nitrogen, uh, anywhere from 50 to 150 pounds of nitrogen per acre. Now, most of that nitrogen is not available until the plant dies. Uh, it, it may transfer a little bit of nitrogen to the to the ryegrass, but but not a great lot. Now, clovers are definitely not for everybody. Uh, one big consideration with clovers is your soil pH must be higher than, than 5.8 or else I would not really mess with trying to, go, to grow clovers. <clears throat> now most of the clover seed today is coated 
And in that coating, it contains a small amount of lime, inoculants, fungicide, maybe a little bit of fertilizer, uh, et cetera. There's a lot of different uh, strategies on, on, on these different coating products. But clovers are not going to give you much grazing during the fall and winter months. It's going to, they're going to come on in, in, in the spring. Uh, broadleaf weed control options are pretty limited. Say you have buttercup in there, it's going to be hard to, to take that out. And then bloat is a, is a concern uh, when using these clovers. Now you need to plant the clover at the same time as the ryegrass in the fall. Again, they don't need to be planted very deep, a quarter to a half inch deep. Uh, all these clovers except white clover are considered annual, so you're going to have to plant them uh, every year. And the one thing we've noticed with clovers are they're much more site specific than ryegrass. As I mentioned earlier, most people can get a pretty good stand of ryegrass. Clovers, not so much. They seem to be a lot more uh, finicky than, than, uh, than ryegrass does. So bottom line is you may have to experiment with several types of clover to determine which ones are going to work best on, on your farm. Now just briefly go, going over some of the major clovers, we have crimson clover. It works well on well-drained soils. You get up into the, say, north of Alexandria and start getting into more of the rolling hills. Uh, work, works uh, very well. White clover works a little better on heavy soils. Has a long growing season. I mean, if we're getting decent rainfall, it'll last uh, well into the summer. And we got some very good varieties of, of white clover available. Ball clover has uh, started to become very popular among uh, hunters because it recedes very well. And uh, it also works well on, on well-drained soil. Red clover uh, seems to be pretty site-specific. I know in South Louisiana, we've got a variety called Red Ace uh, that, that seems to be doing, uh, be doing pretty well. Now, uh, a colleague of mine, uh, Dr. Allison, is performing some clover variety evaluations on a limited basis at Winsboro in, in North Louisiana. Uh, the issue is a lot of these clover companies, they, they don't really pay uh, to have these varieties tested, so it's hard to do a real large-scale uh, variety trial. But he is doing some uh, evaluation. Just a couple of other things. These are pretty minor species, uh, Austrian winter peas. Could be very high in quality. Uh, an issue with them, though, is, is they do cause uh, some bloat. And I've noticed over the last few years with the emphasis on cover crop, we're starting to see more of these minor species included in mixes like the peas. And the next one I'll mention here is hairy vetch. Uh, hairy vetch has pretty high quality. It, it's not real, real palatable, especially when it gets to a, a, a little later maturity stage. Now, there's a lot of hairy vetch just commonly grows in pastures on a volunteer basis. Uh, so when it's grazed young, uh, you can get some decent grazing out of it. And uh, the last group I'll talk about are brassica species. And these include such things as turnip, rape, and kale. Uh, they're very high quality, but they contain a lot of water. Uh, and the other thing is these things are not not real winter hardy. So if you get get some temperatures into the 20s, uh, they're, they're going to be toast. Uh, but again, these are what these uh, crops look like. Uh, 
some of the producers I've visited with says it does take the livestock a little bit of time to kind of get it adjusted to grazing these crops because they're not a grass like the most uh, cattle are used to grazing. So it takes a little while to, to get adjusted to them. They definitely need to be planted in uh, September on a prepared seed bed. Uh, we have found that trying to overseed these brassica species just does not work very well. You just don't get very, very good production uh, with them. So just to kind of summarize, uh, now's the time we've got the variety trial data uh, put together. Uh, so you can sit down and, and use that variety trial information to help you select varieties. Highly suggest you use three-year average yields rather than just one-year yields, because uh, in, in a one-year trial, you, you don't really know uh, exactly what the environmental conditions uh, are. It's much better to, to use a three-year average yield, because that tends to minimize uh, environmental effects. And then uh, check with your seed supplier to make sure they have the varieties available that, that you're interested in using. Uh, they may or may, or may not uh, have those available. Again, now's a good time to be taking soil tests while it's, uh, while it's uh, hot, hot outside. Uh, you can at least uh, put yourself uh, through some good work to get uh, some soil tests done. And again, if you plan on planting some clovers, uh, make sure your pH is, is above 5.8. And again, if your pH is below that, go out, take the soil test, and uh, and and get some lime applied because it'll take the lime a little while to to uh, to to get work into the soil. And with that, uh, that's all I have presentation-wise. Uh, if anybody has any questions, uh, they can can fire them my way. All right, thank you, Dr. Toadwell. Um, if you don't mind, stop sharing your screen. I'm going to share mine really quick. And then Jason can let us know if y'all have any other questions, please get them into the uh, the Q&A. Trying to make sure. So Dr. This is Jason. We did have one question that popped up. If you want to touch on it real quick, the question was when can we plant oaks? The oats can be, the question was on oats, uh, they can be planted a little bit earlier than, than uh, ryegrass. I know uh, some of the dairy producers um, in the southeast part of the state, they'll plant right around Labor Day. Uh, so again, they're they're trying to get some, some, uh, some early forage production out of them. So uh, early September, uh, would, would probably be okay. You know, you kind of it's kind of taking a risk with the weather and all, with it being hot and dry. But uh, a lot of the dairy producers I know will go ahead and give it a shot because uh, it because it will go. They will give you some decent decent production if you do get a little rain on it. But I wouldn't plan it much before Labor Day. Jason, did we have any other questions? No, ma'am. That's the only one that's showing up right now. Are you able to see my uh, PowerPoint with the survey information? Yes, ma'am. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Um, so we ask that you please take just a couple of minutes to complete a survey for our Beef Ranch Educational Series. This helps us improve on um, the webinars series in the future. Uh, you can leave any comments there as well. The way to do that is to open the camera on your phone and um, you can view the little QR code that I have here on the right. 
When you do that, a little notification banner should appear on your phone. You can click on that and go directly to the survey. Again, the survey will only take one to two minutes of your time. I will also post the link, the direct link to the survey when I post this video on YouTube. So in a couple of days, I will have this posted to our LSU Ag Center uh, dash livestock channel on YouTube. It is also going to be on our Beef Brunch webpage. That is lsuagcenter.com slash beef brunch. We are listing those under the past webinars section. Okay. Um, we also have some webinars coming up. Our next one will be in August um, on Tuesday the 11th. So Tuesday, August the 11th, we will have Dr. Guillermo Scaglia talking about grazing nutrition. We already have a flyer posted under future, future webinars on our Beef Brunch site. And then in September, we will have Dr. Christine Navarre coming on and giving a talk. So again, please check out that website for any of that information. We are also doing bi-weekly news updates. Um, and so all those videos get posted to both the YouTube channel, which again is LSU Ag Center dash livestock or on our Beef Brunch page, um, lsuagcenter.com slash beef brunch. Okay. We, we, do, yes. we do have one more question for Dr. Twidwell real quick. Okay. Uh, so the question Dr. Twidwell is, is when do we need to put out lime for it to be effective for the ryegrass crop? Again, when do we need to apply lime for it to be effective for the ryegrass crop? Okay, well, uh, I'd say uh, the sooner the better. Uh, I normally think it's going to take about uh, anywhere from two to three months for that lime to actually be working uh, properly. So uh, I would try to get my soil test taken here as soon as possible and try to get it out uh, by, by say, uh, the 1st of August or so, if, if, if at all possible. Do we have any other questions, Jason? No, ma'am. All right, and if y'all have any questions in the future um, or if you're watching this on YouTube after the live event has already occurred, um, please reach out to your local extension agent. If they cannot answer that, then um, they can get in contact with Dr. Twidwell um, and, and make sure we get those questions answered for you. So thank you, Dr. Twidwell, for uh, taking the time to come and talk to us today. And thank you everyone for joining Perfect. us. If you have any questions uh, regarding our Beef Brunch educational series, please feel free to reach out and contact me. My email is akedwards at agcenter.lsu.edu. My number is 512-818-5476, and I'll have all that information below the, the uh, video in YouTube as well. Thank you all again, and have a great day.